Hey there, and welcome to Oh Frick. My name's Lyra. And I'm Allie. And today we're going to talk about the love slave killers. I thought you were going to say, like, the Loveland frog again. And I was like, wait, we've done this. No, no, no. <laughs> we've been there before. No. Okay, but love slave killer. Yes. So, the love slave killers are Gerald Armand Gallego and Charlene Ad- Adele Gallego. Um, her maiden name is Charlene Williams. Um, so Charlene was born October 10th, 1956 to Charles and Mercedes Williams. They named her Charlene Adele Williams. Uh, I don't know if it's Adele. It's A-D-E-L-L. We'll say it's Adele. Um, they lived in Stockton, California. They eventually moved to Arden Park, which is like a very nice area of Sacramento. Um, do you know where Stockton is? Do I know where? where? Stockton. Stockton? Stockton. No, I don't. It's northern California. Well, like Bay Area, central California. That's what I had to say is Bay Area. Yeah. And then Sacramento is more two hours north of the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. But anyways, her father was the vice president of a supermarket chain. And like he kind of like started at the bottom and worked his way up. And both of her travel, both of her parents used to travel a lot as part of his job because you know an executive they travel a lot, go to different chains, all that stuff. Um, Charlene was a good student and very shy. She was said to have had an IQ of 160 and played the violin. Unfortunately, um, her mother was in a car accident, leaving her disabled, and she could no longer travel with her husband for work. So Charlene started to travel with um, her father, Charles, instead. And like he took her to meet different clients. Um, His clients were impressed with how well-spoken and intelligent Charlene was. However, during high school, this all changed. Charlene began to start using drugs, drinking, and was reported to be very promiscuous. So she was really having teenage rebellion. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, she began taking her money from her mom to gamble as well. And the result of this behavior was she almost didn't graduate high school and flunked out of college. Uh, her parents at the time, they would just basically deny what she was up to. Like they would be like, no, no, no. Our daughter doesn't do that. Just trying to kind of save face or whatever. Yeah. And later too, they kind of try to save face again and kind of let her run away mm-hmm. for at one point, but we'll get to that later. Um, so when she was like late teens, like 17, 18, she married a wealthy man who was addicted to heroin and she herself was addicted to cocaine. Um, this marriage was very short lived though. And she eventually married a soldier. He was reportedly a mama's boy and Charlene quickly grew tired of him and divorced him. Um, after this, she started an affair with a married an affair with a married man, but he ended it because she wanted to like involve the wife and have the a threesome. But he was like, "No, no, no, we're not going to do that." It's like you're the other woman. I'm not gonna. No, yeah, it's not like, going to go over well. I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. Um, the rejection from this married man um, drove Charlene to attempt to kill herself, um, but she you know, survived. And so one night, like a couple months after this incident, um, one night in September, 1977, Charlene, who was 19 at the time, met a man named Gerald Armin Gallego, who was 31 in a seedy poker bar in Sacramento. So she says that when she saw him, he looked very nice and clean cut. Well, Gerald had said when she saw when he saw her, she was very small and quite fetching. And so days after meeting, Gerald was basically like, I describe it as love bombing because he was sending her flowers, saying all these sweet things to her. And, you know, just basic early in the relationship. It's love bombing. Yeah. It's okay. You can say it with your full chest. And so after a few weeks, they eventually moved in together. So their relationship moved very fast. Um, Once moving in together, however, Gerald started to set boundaries for their relationship. So basically, she had rules she had to follow. 
which one of them was she was to hand her entire paycheck to him, even though he didn't work at the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. She was to wear what he wanted her to wear. And she wasn't allowed to like pick out her own outfit. And she was to tolerate him having affairs with other women. (laughs) And why did she want to be with this guy? Is this all like rules that just happened as soon as they moved in together or before that too? I want to say when they moved in together, he was Mm -hmm. more like, because he had more control. This is what, what our relationship is. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, why did Charlene go along with this? Charlene thought this relationship to be exciting, especially his idea of having disposable sex slaves. But she thought this is exciting. This is new. This is not like her other partners. Like she really wanted to do whatever he said. Mm-hmm. Um, so who is Gerald? So Gerald was born July 17th, 1946 in Sacramento, California. His mother, Lorraine Pullen Bennett Gallego, was a sex worker, and his father was like a lifetime criminal. Um, His father had served time in San Quentin. He was paroled, but then returned back to prison and then paroled again. And when he was paroled the second time, he fled California to Mississippi, where he was eventually executed in 1955 for his involvement in killing two police officers. So Gerald didn't really know his father, like, at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess, like, a fun fact, not really a fun fact, but his father was the first man to be killed in Mississippi's new gas chamber. A not-so-fun fact. Yeah, so I was like, fun (laughs) fact, not really a fun fact. Oh. Um, But growing up, Gerald's mother... um, her clients and boyfriends would physically abuse him and they eventually began to sexually abuse him. Um, He also worked when he was really young, he started to work as a runner for various pimps in the area. And then around the age 10, he committed his first felony robbing a neighbor. Um, At age 12, he was, he sexually abused a six year old girl and was sentenced to juvenile detention And I thought that was really sad. I was like, you're a 12-year-old abusing another child. I mean, that's kind of what happens when people are sexually abused as children. They'll repeat the cycle as soon as they can have power over another child. Mm -hmm. It's reported that by the age 12, he had committed 23 different crimes already. What? (laughs) And I was like, that's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they said he had like, he started at age six with his crimes and just like it progressed from yeah. there. I mean, okay. In hindsight, if you really have like no moral compass and all you know is bad and that's your regular, it kind of makes sense that he has so many under his belt. Well, also, still. <laughs> his mother probably wasn't very like apparent. She probably didn't care. Yeah. She's, if he got in trouble or whatever. Yeah. And you know, like we'll never hear about his mother again. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Like she's very hands off. I'm saying. Yeah. Um. So in July 1961, Gerald was paroled, um, but shortly after he was arrested again, and sentenced again to Preston School of Industry in Ione, California. This was a reform school, so this was trying to help him change his life around, and he was eventually paroled from the school in 1963. But in December of the same year, um, 1963, he married his first wife at the age of 16. Um, She was 21. And she gave birth to their first child, Krista, who was born in April 1964. But similar to Charlene, Gerald grew tired of this marriage after a while and divorced his wife and was granted custody of their daughter. So Gerald having custody of her of their daughter was a very dangerous thing because he bland, he began to sexually abuse her at the age of six. Knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in July 1966, Gerald married his second wife. However, this marriage only lasted a whole 26 days um, as he enjoyed beating his wife and chasing her around with knives. 
So naturally she was like, I'm out. Bye. Yeah. Annulled. I have a small question. Yes. Um, From the first marriage. Do you know why he was granted um, custody of the child and not the woman? Because isn't it usually that the woman is usually the first one to get custody of the child? Yeah, I know in California especially, it's they're very like pro-woman or pro-mother. Mm-hmm. So usually the mother, they'll take the mother's side first mm-hmm. before taking the father's side. But I don't know why he was granted custody of their child. Especially because he was, he had a whole bunch younger. of like crimes. He was a minor too. He, he was a minor, and he had a whole bunch of crimes under his belt. So I mean, all I can think is that maybe she was equally as bad. It's also the sixties. Mm, that's true. Times have changed. So who knows what laws were in? I mean, he could have literally thing. just been a kiss ass and like just had the judge mm-hmm. say like, "Hey, he, I should have custody because." Because I'm a man. Exactly. Maybe he had a killer stash and the judge did too. So they bonded over that. You never know. I don't think he was very handsome at all. Oh, great. I'm going to look him up now. I have a picture of him when he's older. I mean, that's different from like his 16 to 18 year old self. I'm going to say that's them when they're. Eh, He's okay. He looks like a person. He doesn't look like gross, I guess. Unfortunate looking. <laughs> Unfortunate looking. I mean, there are some people, specifically when it comes to criminals, that you look at them and you're like, the outside matches the inside, and I don't understand how people went after them. Yeah. So after his second marriage deteriorated, after 26 days, on October ni- or in October 1967, Gerald married his third wife, but again, it only lasted a month um, because he would beat her as well. So in March of 1969, so almost two years later, Gerald married a fourth time in Reno, Nevada. She was 19 and he was 22. She was pregnant when they divorced less than a month later. Um, their daughter from this marriage never knew her father. Like the mom just took the baby and dipped. dipped. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the best case scenario here, right? Yes. Um, later that year in October, Gerald and his brother David attempted to rob a motel in Vacaville, California. Oh my gosh, they've been there. Yeah. <laughs> there too. Um, they were arrested and sentenced to five years in prison. They had attempted to escape with another inmate from Solano County. County jail, but were recaptured four days later. Um, he was eventually released on parole, however. So October 1974, he married his fifth wife in Butte County, and they lasted until August 1977 before separating, which brings us to fall 1977 when Gerald met two-time divorcee Charlene Williams. What a catch. No. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I mean, for somebody who's been divorced five times, is that She's right? She's twice divorced at 19, though. I mean, it it matches. Uh, yeah, Same with true. him. That's true. <laughs> He's, uh, he hasn't had a very fortunate marriage life. No. Both of them are very I mean, it's, again, good for the women, bad for him. Yeah. So on top of the rules he had set for her, um, he had trouble keeping it up and would blame it on her for not being able to please him. And so he would beat her for it. So in 1978, Gerald had brought home a 16 year old dancer wanting a threesome, but did not allow the women to touch each other. Um, so like they had their threesome, if you could really call it a threesome since they I'm, can't really touch each other. Yeah. Um, so Gerald went to work the next day and then when he came home, he found Charlene in bed with the young woman. Um, he abused both women for this transgression because he got mad that they had relations and didn't involve him mm-hmm. and allegedly throwing the young woman from a window and then beating up Charlene. After this, he claimed he lost his libido and was impotent and he began to say he needed a pair of sex slaves to keep him excited. 
and Charlene wanting to oblige him out of respect for him and to satisfy her own sexual fantasies. Fantasies. She was like, okay, let's try this out. So on his 32nd birthday, he decided to celebrate by sodomizing his daughter. Ah, yes, again. So glad that the courts gave him custody. Yeah, I was like, that's that's so sad. Yeah, no, like, okay. I'm not going to say that, like, any kind of abuse is okay. But, like, I don't know, anal... I feel like that's, you're taking a step too far. <laughs> I know it's, I'm using the casual term, I guess. But like, uh, I don't know. I'm just like, just your daughter needs, doesn't need to be involved in that. There is good news later on with the daughter, but yeah, I'm just like, his poor daughter. Yeah, no, I would have ran away at some point. Just like, fuck that shit. Yeah. And, like, I don't know, just to be... I'm sure she didn't know the resources available to her at the time. Yeah, so but she it was might also have felt like, trapped. Yeah. I don't know, but it's also, like, 60, 70, so... Yeah, run away. 78. You can hitchhike away. But I was like, poor daughter. Yeah. Um, This same month when he was celebrating his birthday, Charlene found out she was pregnant as well. Oh, yay, another child in the family. Oh, just wait. Oh, Uh no, don't say that. (laughs) Um, On September 10th, 1978, Gerald woke up Charlene, who was two months pregnant, and she was experiencing the symptoms of pregnancy, um, told her about a plan he had. So they drove their 1973 Dodge van, which was white and green and had mountains, like, airbrushed on the side of it. Wow, so groovy. To the Country Club Plaza in Sacramento. Um, Gerald tasked Charlene with finding two sex slaves. And Charlene hesitated at first and was afraid of failing at being able to find them. But then at also being caught trying to lure people Mm -hmm. back to their van. So Gerald responded to Charlene's hesitance with that. If Charlene knew what was good for her, she would follow his orders. So on this same day, Kippy Vaught, who was 16, and Rhonda Scheffler, who was 17, were shopping at the Country Club Plaza. They were stopped by Charlene, who invited them to smoke a joint in their van. The girls, upon entering the van, were met with the sight of Gerald holding a 25 caliber gun. The pair were then bound with tape and driven east on the I-80 to a secluded area in Baxter, California. So Gerald walked the girls to an area covered with trees um, with a sleeping bag and the gun and basically said for Charlene to wait in the van. And she waited there for hours and then Gerald returned alone and he said to Charlene, ask me no questions, I'll tell you no lies. He had Charlene drive the van to visit some friends in Sacramento, drop off the van, and return with an old Oldsmobile car instead. He, he gave her instructions to do this mm-hmm. and return later. Um, when Charlene returned with the other vehicle, they put the girls in the car, drove them to a field in Slowhouse, California, and they forced the girls to walk to a ditch where Gerald hit Vaught in the head with a tire iron and then beat Scheffler with it. He shot both the girls in the head. Um, reportedly, Vaught had survived the attack, but Sh- Gerald saw her attempting to flee and shot her in the back of the head, uh, or went back to shoot her three more times. And then I did see, so in some reports I saw that Charlene wasn't involved, mm-hmm. and then there were two other reports that there was evidence that Charlene had sexually abused the girls as well. And there was evidence that both Charlene and Gerald had bitten the girls on their breaths. Um, while others just say it was Gerald who assaulted the women or not. They're not women. They're, they're girls. They're young girls. They're young girls. I'm going to speculate and say that Charlene was not involved in this, but she may have been forced to like bite them, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. Not in, like actually assaulting them, though. Considering Gerald's a little baby bitch and didn't want two women to touch each other before. I know. It's so. like, you want a fantasy, but he can't handle it. I mean, it's still fucking shitty that she let it happen. Yeah. Not going to not say that's not terrible. It's just all terrible. He's a terrible I mean, man. Yeah. Yeah. So this same day, farm workers found the bodies of Rhonda and Kippy in the ditch. Mm-hmm. Um, September 27th is the good day when Krista files charges against her father for incest, sodomy, oral copulation, and unlawful intercourse. Let's go. Um, Gerald, faced with these charges, however, decided to flee with his new life, Charlene. So they had gone and gotten married. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they fled on September 30th. Um, December, the couple had gone to Houston, Texas. And so this is when the parents had basically didn't want their names to be dragged through the mud and didn't want Charlene's names to be tainted either. So they suggested to her to steal her cousin's birth certificate so Gerald could assume an identity as Stefan Feel. And Charlene's father had pulled some strings within the supermarket industry and gotten Gerald a job at a supermarket in Houston driving trucks. So, so the parents are being set up <laughs> covering for them. Yeah. Or giving them an out. Yeah. Um, they didn't last long in Houston though, and moved to Reno, Nevada finding where Gerald found a job at a meat distribution center as a truck driver. Mm-hmm. And Charlene was an office worker. So on Father's Day, 1979, Gerald decided it was time to find another pair of girls. So the pair went to the Washoe County Fair in Reno, Nevada, and he sent Charlene on the task to find their next victims. Brenda Judd, um, who was 14, and Sandra Colley, who was 13, were at the fair that day. They were approached by Charlene for an opportunity to make money handing out leaflets. Um, but she told them that they first needed to go to the to her van to be able to get more flyers out of the mm-hmm. van. Um, once they arrived at the van, however, the girls were met with Gerald holding a forty-four caliber pistol. And again, these girls were forced into the van and bound. Um, on the way, while they were driving along the I eighty, they stopped at a hardware store to purchase a hammer and a shovel. And then at this point, they had switched drivers, so Charlene Bank began to drive the van as Gerald remained in the back, repeatedly raping the girls, while Charlene drove them into the Nevada hills. Uh, She drove them to the Humboldt Sink area. I think it's a sinkhole area. And over the next few hours, Charlene forced the girls to perform sexual acts on each other. Okay. Um, so still nothing on her. Not really. Like she's not getting involved. Involved. Herself. She's just kind of, I guess, forcing things to happen between the girls slash Gerald mm-hmm. to, yeah, for his amusement, I guess. Yeah. Um, Sandra was dragged out of. The, so after all this was done, they were like satisfied with the girls. Um, Sandra was dragged out of the vehicle first by Gerald, who took the shovel and the hammer with him. He struck her in the head repeatedly before going back and repeating the same process with Brenda. Um, Gerald dug a pit to bury the girl's naked bodies and covered it with a rock. Um, Charlene cleaned out the van, but Gerald wanted to keep the hammer and shovel. Um, Sadly, the girls were declared runaways until 1982 when Charlene confessed to their murders. Mm Mm-hmm. But up until then, the police were just like, oh, they just ran away. And that They're was young it. teen girls, right? That happens. Mm-hmm. And it was thought because the girls had run away to join the carnival company, even after it was determined that they that didn't happen. So, like, they did a little investigating. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, maybe that's not what happened. They still didn't really... They didn't look into it at all. ...investigate yeah. their disappearance. And it wouldn't be until 1999 until their remains were actually found. And that's because Charlene had told them of the their murder and abduction, or their abduction and murder. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But Gerald was never tried for, like, being involved in their murder. Is that because the statute of limitations had already, like, gone and passed? Or is it just because they already had stuff on him and they didn't need to overcomplicate the case? Yeah, I think it was just that they already had stuff on him. Mm -hmm. So they just never filed charges. Yeah, okay. So that happened in June. So in September of 1979... The couple moved back to Sacramento under their new aliases. Um, Gerald got a job as a bartender and started having an affair with a with another woman. Um, this woman had never told Gerald at the time, but she became pregnant with his child. And that child, same as the other woman, mm-hmm. she that child never knew her hit its father. Um. But Gerald was that purposeful or did she just decide that like, oh, it was just a one time thing and this is my baby. I don't care about the guy. I think it was purposeful because he grew tired of the woman Mm. and wanted to find new sex slaves. So he basically dumped her and just was like, Charlene, it's time again. Because on April 24th, 1980. Charlene woke up to Gerald demanding that they go find a girl. Um, They were in the parking lot of Tower Records in Sacramento looking for their next victims, but there were too many like policemen around. Mm -hmm. So they went to the Sunrise Mall in Citrus Heights. So this is where Stacy and Stacy and Redican and Karen Chipman Twiggs, who were both 17, they were exiting a bookstore when they were stopped by um, Charlene, and again she said to the to these girls, as she said in the first pair with the first pair of girls, she was like, "Hey, do you want to smoke a joint and like travel with me in my van? Like we're gonna go smoke a joint, get high, and have a good time." So the girls were like, "Okay, yeah, let's like let's go." And so they were led to the van, and again Gerald was inside the van waiting for the, the girls. With a 375 Magnum pistol. As a side note, I totally expected you to jump from like, I think the first gun was like a 22 caliber. The second one was like a 44 or 48, whatever. Yes. So I fully expected you to jump up to like a 60, an 80. I know. I like, <laughs> like um, I don't think they exist, but like, you know, I don't know. So they got the girls in the van and Charlene was again in charge of driving um, on the I, so they were going east on the I eighty. While Gerald was in the back, he demanded the girls undress before raping them repeatedly. Uh, Charlene drove them to Limerick Canyon in Lovelock, California, and after Gerald was satisfied, he led the girls one at a time to their deaths using a hammer to beat them to death. Um, this time, Charlene was there to view as they were like he buried them claiming she saw movement from one of the graves, but Gerald Gerald told her she was just wrong. He, he was just like, no. They're dead. You're wrong. I'm right. I'm the man. Um, Charlene made sure to throw the hammer out the window this time on, the way, on their way back to Sacramento. So the girl's remains were found three months later on July 27th, 1980, when picnickers found their coyote-ravaged remains in the shallow graves 20 miles out of Lovelock. Um, both had, oh wait, is it look? Um, both have been raped, suffering fatal head injuries by a blunt instrument. Okay. Question. Yes. Where exactly would the human remains be as at like, in terms of, uh, decomposition? Do you know? Because I can definitely see how you can determine like, that they've died from like blunt force trauma, especially if it's on the head, like, you know, it's going to be very obvious to see how like everything's cracked and everything, all that. But if animals had already started to like ravage the remains, how do you determine sexual assault too? Well, I mean, they're still like the inside of the. Yeah. But that's why I'm asking like exactly where are their remains like in terms of decomp? I mean, it was only three months. So how fat? I don't know. I, I don't know. These are questions that I do not have the answers to. And I want you to have the answers. I don't know about human decomposition. I don't know how long it takes for a human body to decomp. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing here is um, like I'm wondering how do they determine that? 
when animals have already been like, you know, well, for picking at something for the trauma to the head, they would look at like the skull fracture. Yeah. But like for sexual assault, for the sexual always, obviously assault. be more for like soft, soft tissue and stuff. Right. Yeah. So I feel like that or would start to go like first. Bruising inside. Yeah. So Which I don't know. Look at that tissue. I was going to say, it, it probably heals over that time, but it's a not living body anymore. It doesn't I was heal say anymore. Not alive, so the, the tissue wouldn't yeah. heal as if they were. And then also they could swab the inside. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're naked. It could have not been. <laughs> I know. I don't know if they yeah, were. Yeah. Anyways, were these naked, are a lot of questions that I'm just asking, and I don't think there's ever going to be like an answer. If we talked to a coroner, I was thinking of their name, what their job is. We can talk to a coroner with these questions. The next month in 1980 in May, um, Charlene was pregnant again. Oh, great. And okay, okay, great. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Charlene. Sure. <laughs> um. Gerald this time did not force her to get an abortion, though. Um, they remarried in June under his new alias, making them Mr. and Mrs. Feel, Feel, F-E-I-L. Okay, sure. Um, and a few days after getting married on June 7th, 1980, the couple were driving down the highway near Port Arford, Oregon. Um, they had gone up to Oregon as like a little honeymoon i guess little vacation mm-hmm. and they noticed 20 year old 21 year old linda aguilar who was four months pregnant so they had saw her off the side of the road she was um, walking home from the store mm-hmm. and the couple decided to offer her a ride which linda gladly accepted because she's pregnant she's having to walk home she's coming back from the store so she probably has bags it's the 80s you trust everybody you're and you pick up yeah I'm you pick sure up any ride you're given in Oregon um so Charlene took over driving and while Gerald went into the back and held Linda at gunpoint um reaching a secluded area Gerald raped Linda before striking her in the head with a rock and then strangling her to death to or strangling her to ensure she was dead um they dumped her body outside of Gold Beach Oregon and then Linda was reported missing by her family on June 20th. So at the time when her remains were found, they were centered or they centered the investigation on Linda's boyfriend. It had been reported by a witness that they had seen a pregnant lady getting into a van. But the investigators saw this as circumstantial evidence and honed in on investigating the boyfriend who had beat who had reportedly beat linda before i mean i still think that makes sense because isn't it usually like the men the partners of a woman that are most likely to like kill them yeah so it Um, makes sense that they would focus on him i I still don't think that they should have just brushed off the whole like i think i saw her you know get a ride from a van I don't, I don't think they should have brushed that off so fast either. And so German tourists had found her remains and her um, when they examined her, her wrist and ankles were tied up with a nylon cord. Her skull was broken and there was evidence that she had survived the attack. And so when they buried her, they buried her alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how they... They, what they think happened is that she had survived, was buried, and she woke up and was attempting to, like, struggle free because what they found was that there was sand in her mouth, throat, and nose. And that, mm, that's so actually she, like, how breathed she died. In the dirt. Yeah. Was that she suffocated on the sand. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, that's so sad. I know. Um, so in, on July 16th, 1980... Gerald and Charlene went to the Sale Inn in West Sacramento. Um, They enjoyed drinks, and Gerald was being loud and obnoxious, in my opinion. They hadn't used another word to describe him, and I was like, he was just being an obnoxious drunk man. Okay. Rowdy? Yeah, in a a bar. I mean, it's okay. 
he seems like a really terrible person so you can just call him annoying and stupid yeah um virginia mockle who was 31 was the bartender working at the time um she had served the couple before and like the couple had like gerald and charlene had been to this inn before Mm -hmm. um and so gerald and charlene left and when virginia was locking up the bar um that is when gerald and charlene abducted her so they abducted her from the parking lot um they drove her to they didn't even drive her to a secluded area they didn't drive her outside of town they drove her to their home where charlene went inside to watch tv while gerald stayed in the van with her and raped her like in their driveway essentially Mm -hmm. okay that's really bold because now they have to take somebody away from their home yeah and then allegedly virginia began to beg gerald to kill her and he did so by strangling her to death with nylon cord while charlene drove them outside of clarksburg to dump her body um patrons at the bar um when she was like reported missing and everything patrons at the bar had reported seeing Stefan field and his girlfriend being in attendance at the bar. Um, the police had taken this case more seriously because Virginia was a mother of two mm-hmm. and they said she wasn't like a vagabond or anything like that. I like, mean, she, she had a, a job. Mother. Yeah. Um, so they did question Gerald about her disappearance, but he had, He admitted to being at the bar, but not having any clue of what happened to her. Um, Charlene was questioned as well. And she had mentioned like, oh, my boyfriend and I were fishing that day. What? (laughs) Yeah. So. Gerald, whatever the fuck his alias is at this point. Is saying they're at the bar, but then Charlene's also saying. No, we were fishing. Yeah. Isn't that suspicious? (laughs) So it was. Okay. But they did not have enough evidence to say that these two were the ones that abducted her. Mm, Okay. It was basically like a couple witnesses saw them at the bar. Their stories kind of weren't matching up, but still it's like they don't have evidence saying they abducted her. Mm. Maybe Um, they were illegally fishing. Can't you get them on that? (laughs) (laughs) Anything at this point. Okay. And then Virginia's remains were found on October 3rd, 1980, um, by fishermen who found her. And her remains were still bound by the nylon fishing line with a cord wrapped around her neck. Okay, again, this just, it. one of them was saying something about fishing. Fishermen found her. She had fishing line. It's all coming together now. Yes. So July 17th, 1980 was Gerald's 34th birthday. Um, I guess this was the day after he had murdered Virginia. Mm-hmm. So it was reported that he was very happy on his birthday the next day. Um, and then in September, Charlene and Gerald hit a rough spot, I guess, because she had moved out to return to her parents' home. Um, Gerald had left town to rekindle a former romance, but he eventually returned back to Charlene. And so on November, in November 1980, Char- or Gerald had told Charlene, I'm getting that feeling. And they borrowed, they told Charlene's parents that they were going to borrow the car to go on a date. Okay. They went out and got drunk. And while I was reading this, I was like, Charlene is pregnant and she's out getting drunk. This is the 80s, right? Yeah. I don't think they were as aware of a fetal alcohol syndrome. That's true. Um, So they were out getting drunk and Gerald stated he wanted to find more love slaves. So early in the morning, so like pretty much the same night, but early Mm -hmm. November 2nd, in the very early morning hours, Craig Miller, 22, and his fiance, Mary Elizabeth Sowers, 21, were leaving a fraternity party. So the Gallegos spotted the pair standing on the side of the road and Charlene decided to park. So they really switched up their MO because Gerald decided to get out of the car and hold the couple at gunpoint. So 
he had a 25 caliber Beretta ordering the couple into the Oldsmobile. Mm -hmm. Um, A friend of the couple did stop to ask what was going on because he saw them in the car. Um, But Charlene had yelled at the friend and drove off. Um, They were driven to a secluded location in El Dorado County where Gerald ordered Craig out of the van. And while Craig was like getting out of the van and walking to the front of the van, or not the van, the car. Front of the car. (laughs) Yeah, the Oldsmobile. um, Gerald shot him point blank in the back of the head, firing two more shots. After the fact, when he's like on the ground, not moving. I mean, he's not the one that he wants. And... He's obviously going to be killing the woman at the end of this, so yeah. he has to get rid of him at some point. Well, um, they were the public was made aware of it by 1973, but you know how like sometimes people won't take it as seriously until it's like years later. That's what I'm trying to find out too. If there was like a secondary date where people were like actively pushing it, apparently fetal alcohol syndrome awareness, like the actual like day. Mm-hmm. That you're supposed to like, you know, be aware of it or whatever. Um, was in uh, 1999. So, um, they might have been starting research on it and finding a correlation in the 80s. I don't know. I I'm just seeing those two dates. Um, for the 1973 one. Um government agency was able to support research on alcohol and pregnancy immediately following the 1973 published clinical reports calling attention to a proposed fetal alcohol syndrome so 1973 it was like when they first really started to like make the connection and i think after that more research was put into it mm-hmm. also why is there a google search that says can i have a glass of wine every night while pregnant no ma'am put that glass down some women seriously ask that yeah and it's on google Okay, well, anyways, they at least knew what it was. Maybe they just didn't take it seriously. Obviously, they're terrible people, so they don't give a half a fuck, right? Yeah. Some women, or, yeah, some women, I, I shouldn't say that, but some women are just really want a glass of wine. I guess so. Also, did you know that it's not technically not illegal for a pregnant woman to be served alcohol? Yeah. They can still ask for alcohol. When it's they're more out, like, like at a, a restaurant or whatever. The when I took a bartender's course, mm-hmm. they were like, technically, you can serve a pregnant woman alcohol if she asks for it. It's not illegal, but you can also. But it's like it's a the moral, right to refuse it's more service. Of a moral thing, yeah. Than a if you like, you can refuse her service, but at the same time, it's like she could also say she's a paying customer, all that mm-hmm. stuff. So she can fight it. Mm-hmm. So, um, Gerald had shot Craig and they took Mary back to Gerald's apartment where Gerald raped her for hours while Charlene watched TV again. Um, once he was done with her, they drove Mary to Placer County to another secluded location where Gerald ordered her out of the car and shot her three times point blank. Um, unfortunately for the Gallegos, but fortunately for everyone else, the friends, friends of the couple who had stopped to ask what was going on and saw the events wrote down the license plate. So they reported the plates to the police. Mm -hmm. The police were able to use this information to track the couple down. And so the next morning they were at Charlene's parents' house and Gerald and Charlene had like, were approaching the house, saw the cops there and Gerald dipped while Charlene went to go answer the questions that the officers had. Yeah. Um, The officers, however, had started poking holes in her story and like started to point out to her and say like, well, this sounds contradictory. Like, what do you mean you were here when you were Mm -hmm. really here when we have witnesses? But she says that she was too drunk to remember the events of the evening. Um, so now here's my follow-up question. What, what? When did drinking and driving become a bigger problem? <laughs> <laughs> like an actual like, oh, you know, driving under the influence kind of thing. You can get ticketed. You can get arrested or held, whatever. When was that a thing? I don't know. Maybe the 60s. <laughs> I don't know. 
Just don't do it. That's, that's just what I gotta don't say. do it. This is when Gerald started to think and was like, I left Craig's body in the middle of nowhere where he could possibly be discovered. So they had gone back. He had taken Charlene to go back to try to move the body. Mm-hmm. But it was already discovered. Like someone had found the body, so they couldn't go do that. So the couple drove to Reno to take a bus to Salt Lake City. Um, the police did have enough evidence against them to make an arrest because they had witnesses who can identify Gerald as the one who abducted um, Craig and Mary Beth. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm so bad with names. Mary Elizabeth, not Mary, Mary Beth. That's pretty close. Mary Elizabeth. Um, Charlene's father, Charles, told the, the officers about how they stole the birth certificate to be able to change Gerald's name. Oh, so now they're ratting him out. Yes. Okay. And the bullets in Craig's body matched the ones Gerald had apparently shot into the ceiling at his job as a bartender. So I guess he had just pulled a gun out and shot. Oh, is this the Wild West? <laughs> into the air. Also, do you think that Charlene's dad decided to, like, out Gerald? Was it just Gerald or both of them? It was just... No, it would have to be both of them. That's what I'm thinking. Because I, I thought it, initially it was just Gerald. I was like, is this his way of attempting to save his daughter from that? And then he could just pull up her original birth certificate because, I mean, she's his daughter. I'm sure they have it in the house somewhere. Well, Along with the uh, extra copy. He might have done it to get lesser charges for her. That's what I'm thinking. Just, it's just like she's he's either trying to like get her off the hook or get her a reduced sentence or something. Just by being compliant or whatever. Mm-hmm. But still, it's just like, just did not give a fuck about this man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I They probably didn't like him. I mean, yeah. He was um, continuing his daughter's crazy streak. But... They also helped her a couple times because... Yeah, but that's their daughter. Well, no, they're continuing to help her because Mm. Charlene had called her parents while they were on the run um, asking for more money because they had moved from Denver to Omaha, Nebraska. Um, And so finally the parents had... So they had transferred money to them a couple times. Mm -hmm. And then she had requested money again. And the parents reluctantly transferred or wired more money to them. Um, But this time they had notified the FBI. To trace it or whatever. So the FBI apprehended the couple at a Western Union. Well, Charlene, I think, would have to tell them which Western Union to transfer Oh, so that you could go pick it up or whatever? Yeah. So um, they notified the FBI and the FBI were able to apprehend the couple at a Western Union where they were waiting for the funds from Charlene's parents. Um, they had obtained a search warrant for the couple's apartment, the van, and found shell casings in there. Um, Charlene had agreed to a plea deal and pled guilty for the murders of Craig Miller and Mary Sowers, being sentenced to 16 years and eight months. Um, pleading guilty in Nevada as well to the murders of Karen Twig and Stacy Redican, getting a similar sentence. So she was given the minimum amount of time in California that you could be sentenced for first-degree murder. Um, the state of Oregon decided not to press charges against the two and left it up to Nevada and California to handle the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Um, California authorities were not pleased with Charlene being offered a plea deal and they were trying to rescind the offer and get her the maximum amount of sentence that she could get. Um, but by 1983, they dropped the charges against her to focus on Gerald. Um, and in January 17th or on January 17th, 1981, Charlene had given birth in prison to a baby boy, Gerald Armand Gallego Jr., Okay, that's kind of weird that you would name it the child after the bastard of a husband. Yes, who was surrendered to Charlene's parents. So that was how, kind of how Charlene's stories ended. 
Mm-hmm. We'll get back to her in a second. But Gerald, on the other hand, decided to serve as his own attorney. Oh, you dumbass. Um, but he really shot himself in the foot because... Uh-huh. He get ch- it? Because he was always using a gun. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think about that when I put that. Oh. <laughs> um. So he chose not to cross-examine Mercedes Williams, which is Charlene's mother, mm-hmm. um, who was like a key witness for the prosecutor. He did decide to cross-examine Charlene for six days. He just wanted to talk to her, didn't he? Probably. Oh, my God. Um, Charlene, I guess, was asked, why did you go along with what Gerald was doing? Why didn't you try to stop him? Why didn't you at any point try to just go to the authorities, run away, do whatever? Um, Charlene defended herself saying that she was afraid of him because of she was a victim of abuse and she would threat or he would threaten her. Um, and he manipulated her emotionally to stay with him by saying things like, I guess you're not the type of woman that I thought you were. Or I guess there is a certain phrase. I forget the phrase used, but it's just like, I guess you weren't the person that I thought you were. Very emotionally manipulative, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Jared also called himself to the stand. Okay. And so this was good for the prosecution because they were able to point out inconsistencies in his story. Um, But after everything, oh, and then also Gerald had asked to wait to make his opening statement until after the prosecution made theirs. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if it was just like he was saying, like, what are they going to say? I I think that's 100% what he was doing. He wanted to see how they were phrasing things and maybe how long they would be talking and how they were presenting the case so that he could kind of talk and modify his own. Yeah. Um, um, Opening statement. And in his closing statement, he had asked the jury to just have faith in what he was saying was true. Just trust me, bro. Source me. Yeah. No. No, you fucking dumbass. He's like, trust me. I'm telling the truth. Oh, my gosh. But on June 21st, 1983, Gerald Gallego was sentenced to death for the murders of Craig Miller and Mary Sowers. Um, On June or in June 1984, Gerald was extradited to Nevada and sentenced to death for the murders of Karen Twiggs and Stacey Redican. And then Charlene had told investigators that they could find a white macrame rope that would match the bindings on the bodies of Karen and Stacy. So in Nevada, Gerald had opted for a public defender, but he was still handed the same sentence as what California had given him was the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, 1987, Gerald had wrote a state of petition for right of habeas corpus, which is a court order that requires a government official to bring a prisoner before or prisoner or someone who's detained before a court to determine if the person's sentence is lawful. Um, this was denied by the Pershing County district court. Um, and Charlene at the age of 40 in 1997 was released on parole. Um, her time in prison, she had studied psychology, business, Icelandic literature, Okay, a little random on that one, but I know I was like, it, girl. that's random. Um, she stated after the fact that she was also a victim and that there were, quote, victims who died and there were victims who lived. It's taken me a long time to realize I'm one of the ones who lived. And also claiming that during the when the crimes were happening, she had tried to help save some of the victims. what's your take on that I understand she's a victim of abuse there's no doubt about that she was probably emotionally abused by him Mm -hmm. physically abused by him yeah there was a point though where she could have just left she did her family was was living with her parents exactly her family could have absolutely supported her and she could have gotten into a better healthier relationship or i mean i hate to say it but like again the 
if that's all you're used to, you might just fall back into that same relationship, an abusive mm-hmm. one. But maybe it would have been one that other women weren't being killed in. Yeah, I just... As much as she may have been a victim, there is a small part where I think she was a willing participant. Because in a the way, fact yeah. that she's watching TV yeah. twice... When, I mean, I think she's doing that just to make herself feel better and try to forget about what's happening. But even still, it, I'm just like, but still, it's just like she's a willing. She's being compliant with it, mm-hmm. so that makes her just as guilty as he is. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yes, yeah, she's a victim, but she's also a perpetrator. In a way, I'm glad that she's actually come to that realization too, because I'm sure that fucking hurts too to know, mm-hmm. like. I could have done a lot more. I could have gotten out of the situation. I could have actually done a little bit more help or reduced the amount of victims if I had left earlier and reported this. Mm-hmm. So doesn't make it any better, but at least she came to somewhat of a realization. Yeah. Um, She had, so when she was released on parole, she had assured the authorities that she would register as a felon wherever she went. Mm-hmm. And according to her mother, she just left California and never returned to California. Um, so in 1988, for Gerald, he attempted to appeal again, but the U.S. Supreme Court would not review the appeal submitted by him. Mm-hmm. In 1990, he again attempted to petition to the 7th Judicial District Court in White Pine County, um, but it was dismissed the following year. In 1992, he appealed again, but the appeal was dismissed by the Nevada Supreme Court, where he requested a rehearing but was denied. 1991, or no, 1993, Gerald again filed a petition for right of habeas corpus in federal court, raising 40 claims. Um, A district judge denied all his claims, and Gerald spent or Gerald next went to the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, where Judge McKibben upheld all grounds except one where it was determined that um, he was inadequate or the jury was inadequately, inadequately informed as to whether Gerald should have um, been sentenced to death in Nevada. And so then in 1997, Gerald won his long process of trying to appeal. Mm-hmm. Because a federal appeals appeals court ruled that the death sentence in, in Nevada was invalid because the judge had suggested to the jury that he he was sentenced to death in California, but might be spared and granted parole. So he got him on a technicality. Yes. Mm. Because of what the judge had said. God damn it. Um, and they're supposed the, to be the smart ones. Yes. Some of the judges aren't that smart. No, that's 100% true. Some of them aren't very smart. Yes. And then two years later in 1999, Gerald underwent a mental evaluation to see if he was fit for a retrial of the 1984 convictions. Um, During this time, Gerald was reported to be sleeping under a table in his cell and communicating through the little fluid slot on his door. Um, Their findings were that Gerald was not fit to stand a retrial. It was also found that he suffered from PTSD from extreme childhood abuse and brain damage sustained from childhood injuries, impairing his mental ability to plan, problem solve, comprehend, and make judgments. Um, In 2002, Gerald died from cancer in Nevada in the medical unit of a Nevada prison while awaiting his execution. So basically, Mm. even after all that, all his appeals, they still upheld the death sentence. Yeah. Well, it's because he couldn't get retried. Yeah. Because he wasn't mentally competent. Um, And there was believed to have been an additional victim of Charlene and Gerald, thought to be their very first victim. Um, On June 26, 1978, Sandra K. Butler who was 16 at the time, disappeared from Sparks, Nevada, across the street from her family's apartment. Um, Reportedly on her way to 
to Green Bray Shopping Center. Um, police had declared her a runaway at the time. Um, she was believed to be their first victim because she was riding a bike um, near the Re- or to the Reno Rodeo at the Washoe County Fairgrounds, where a year later at the Gallegos would abduct Brenda and Sandra. So they think she might have been a victim of theirs because she was around the area where mm-hmm. they like prowled for victims. People. Yeah. Um, her remains, however, were never found. But there was, so they did change from her being a runaway to foul play. So there was some kind of evidence that suggested she didn't run away or yeah. may have been abducted or something? hmm Okay. But they just speculate she was one of their victims. There's no, like, confirmation. Yeah, and they've never said anything about that. Mm-mm. But yeah, that's all I have. So where is Charlene now? I have no clue. I didn't even try to look it up. Mm. Oh, I don't know. I wonder if we could do a quick Google search. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm pretty sure that if you're on parole and you have to register as a felon wherever you are, that you have to be constantly on the run. You'd have to assume a new identity and basically lose whoever, like, you know, which, which is why her parents... Only know that she fled the state of California. Ew. Ooh. Breaking news. I mean, should I feel bad if I out her where she's living? No. Fuck no. <laughs> um, listen, bad people deserve to get outed. True, 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 true. Um, in 2013, she was reported to have returned to Sacramento. And... At the time, she was opening about up about the murders and living a new life. Yeah, she's back in California, even though she said she would never return to California. Again, she's a confusing person. Wow. Thank you for that. Also, you're welcome. Listen, small thing. So when you said there was these like sex slave murders, mm-hmm. I expected more of like people being held captive. Yeah. But it's not. It's just like a one-time thing. Well, they're the love slave killers and the sex slave killers. That's like two names. I guess it's because of Gerald's phrasing, right? Yeah. But really, I thought the same thing where I thought they were going to hold people captive or something. Yeah. It's very misleading on that front. And it's not even like, I don't know, like a slave is someone that you like hold against their will force them to do i mean they kind of were against their will they kind of were though but over like an extended period of time not just a few hours yeah i don't know but thank you for that thank you for telling me all this Hmm? he said thank you for telling me all this i hope charlene is not having a cushy life because Obviously, she's not taking as much accountability as I thought she would be at this point. I mean, she could be. I wonder if there's documentaries that interview her. But she could attempt to make an or like or like make money off of this. I mean, if she gives us details on everything and, like, helps bring peace to the victim's families, sure, maybe. Oh, I don't know if this is true. I just found. Right then. This says her net worth is $1 million. What does that mean? That's how much, that's how much like, money she has. Yeah, but I mean, like, what what, what is the backing to that? Is that because of her parents? Because her parents seem pretty, you know, decently well off. Or is that because of her current ventures? Because I am seeing things like on IMDb too. I'm like, hmm. I feel like this is not accurate. What? Oh, never mind. It has her whole story. I mean, she does have a... um, I can't remember what it's called when it's uh, movies and TV shows. Like, peop- like a discography is 
you know, the history of a person's like albums oh. and all that. What is it when it's like a TV slash movie thing? Well, if they use her likeness, don't you have to pay them? I don't think so. I don't know. But that's all I have for you. <laughs> okay. But I mean, she's credited on a couple of things. History's Mysteries. I think it's Infamous Killers. I, I'm not going to click that because I don't want to. Wicked Attraction. Snapped. Killer Couples. 35 Serial Killers. The World Wants Something. And apparently also on Twisted and Born to Kill. So I don't know if she's appeared on there or not, but it they are listing an older picture of her and it looks like she's being interviewed. A hundred percent they interviewed her. Yeah. There's no way they, she's out on parole or like she's not even on parole. She was just released from prison. Yeah. Or now she wouldn't be on parole anymore, but a hundred percent they interviewed her. Yeah. I'm just wondering why there's like no news about her at all. Like past. The the last thing I saw was like 2013. That's what I saw too. Yeah. 10 years ago. That's too long. Mm-hmm. But anyways, thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. And you can follow us on our social medias on Instagram, which is Ofric Pod. And on YouTube, which is Ofric Podcast. Mm-hmm. And yeah. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.